All right, so we are here with Lazarus, starting with Alan, who has the crypto enthusiast. Crypto enthusiast, also known as Virgil Griffith, whose case we've talked about a few times previously on the podcast. He is the former um, Ethereum engineer, co-contributor, co-founder, who has been uh, convicted by the, or rather pled guilty um, after charges were brought against him by the US government for uh, helping the North Korean government evade sanctions by um, giving them access to his knowledge about cryptocurrency. Apparently back in, I believe it was 2018, Griffith went to North Korea to participate in a uh, cryptocurrency conference. And while there, he gave a conference talk. He spoke with some North Korean officials, government officials, and uh, he also performed some uh, very, very minor demonstrative uh, cryptocurrency transactions. Anyway, the US uh, Justice, Justice Department really got after him for violating US sanctions against North Korea. And uh, he pled guilty uh, some months ago, and he's just been sentenced now by the judge in the case to five years or 63 months in prison just for doing this. Now, if you look at the charging documents, um, what he's accused of is really, frankly, quite trivial. I mean, um, if you look at the specifics, it's nothing like what you will often see in the media reports. You know, the media reports make it sound like he's done this terrible thing. Here he is, he's really been helping the, uh, the North Korean government evade these sanctions. And in, the truth of the matter is, he just attended a conference and he gave a demonstration. And uh, he sent some texts to friends prior to going to North Korea in which he more or less acknowledged that it was probably illegal for him to do so. Um, and he took, yeah. I think, some effort to conceal it. No, he didn't really. Okay. Because as soon as he returned from the conference in South Korea or North Korea, excuse me, he willingly went to the U.S. embassy, unprompted, went to the U.S. embassy in Singapore to talk about it. Oh. And then he subsequently talked to FBI agents in New York and L.A. without a lawyer present. Yeah, well, you know, the time to talk to those people is before you do it. Yes, although interestingly, he did. He did communicate with the State Department in advance, and they told him, don't do it. Right. <laughs> and so that definitely made the situation a lot worse by yeah. his disregarding the State Department. But as I also mentioned in my uh, the previous time we talked about this, um, I, I know Virgil Griffith, not well at all. I've just met him on a couple of occasions. Mm -hmm. And um, the first time I met him, and this was over a decade ago, um, he was already at that time really interested in North Korea. And uh, he was interested in, I guess, the, uh, the personality cult uh, surrounding Kim Jong-un, the, the, the first family of North Korea. So he wanted to find some way to go to North Korea. And I guess this was the way he was able to make it happen um, with very unfortunate consequences. Yeah, I mean, like Snowden showed us, if you're going to do a thing like that, you better stay there. Yeah, pretty much.
Yeah, although, I mean, when I first heard this, I thought it something could have easily happened to me. You just go to a conference and give a talk. But he did know that there were sanctions. Yes, and he did disregard information or advice coming directly from the U.S. State Department. Yeah, so this it was very yeah. unwise, very foolish. Yeah, it, it, that's why, you know, uh, this reminds me of um, a Secret Service High Tech Crime Investigators Association meeting I went to where they had a defense lawyer. And he said, a client will call me and say, the cops pulled me over. And they said, do you have guns or drugs in the car? And he says, no. But he did have those things in the car. And then they said, can we search the car? And he said, yes. So they searched the car and found that stuff. And then he calls me. And I'm saying, now you call me. What am I supposed to do now? You were supposed <laughs> to call me before you did all those stupid things. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. And so anyway, I, I've got uh, the other side of this, the justification, the $600 million cryptocurrency hack a couple of weeks ago was North Korea, Lazarus. And uh, North Korea does seem to fund their expensive missile program and their military and pretty much everything by stealing massive amounts of cryptocurrency. It is, it seems to be their only money-making activity. <laughs> so uh, it's the Lazarus Group, which has long been known to be North Korea. And uh, they hacked Axie Infinity and they stole, like, like I said, $600 million of cryptocurrency, which is so much that it's not that easy to uh, sell it or launder it. But anyway, I don't know if they care about laundering it, but they will have to try to figure out some way to convert it into missiles. So I can see why the government takes a dim view of teaching North Korea about cryptocurrency. Have you heard about North Korea's money laundering them for, for cryptocurrency? Have you heard about them successfully laundering it ever? Well, no, but I don't know if anybody's tried to track it. I mean, I don't know if there's exactly an issue of laundering it. It's just a matter of converting it into some other kind of currency. Right, right. Uh, and they might be able to just buy stuff directly with it. I'm not sure. That's true. Uh, Overstock.com. Yeah, yeah. Or, or Tesla. Uh, and or pretty much, you know, anybody is, I think everyone they deal with will be pretty shady and they'll probably take crypto as payment. Yeah, it reminds me of that story I shared some weeks ago in which Russian oligarchs were trying to uh, launder their their cryptocurrency through Swiss banks. Right. Well, the Swiss you always have recently knocked it off. But um, I would think if you wanted to buy a huge yacht, they would take your payment in Bitcoin or Axie coin or any kind of stuff. At a discount, perhaps. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And anyway, so I got a few others here. Uh, so Elon Musk was said he was going to buy Twitter and um, offered $43 billion. <coughs> and the um, many people freaked out and said they're making this a hostile takeover by resisting it. But then they said, it looks like he's not going to do it. And the amazing thing is the most likely explanation I saw on Twitter was a guy said, well, he's, he makes this offer. Then the press stock goes up. Then he dumps his stock because he said, if I don't get it, I'm going to sell my stock. So making this offer, the stock goes up, he sells his stock, he makes profit. But amazingly, the opposite happened. He offered to buy Twitter at a price 30 or 40% higher than the going rate, and the stock price fell, which is insane because this would seem to be easy money for anybody. Buy some Twitter, and then pretty soon Elon Musk will buy it at a higher rate. But apparently everybody is convinced he's not really going to do it. And uh, because he just has a, a history of shooting his mouth off and making wild promises and then just sort of ignoring them, which is why he's in trouble at the SEC. And uh, 
Anyway, I wanted to, I sort of rebelled immediately because he's not that rich. He's only got $274 billion and spending $43 billion on kind of a stupid thing like Twitter that probably isn't really worth anything is really a large portion of that. And uh, he doesn't, you know, have that money just lying around. And it's not, you don't take like one third or one quarter of your entire wealth and just throw it away on a, a frivolous project. You might say that, but in the morning, you'll think better of it. So anyway, um, apparently the smart money says Elon is not going to buy Twitter. And then I had a couple articles about uh, Putin. Um, the Russian Orthodox priest is totally in bed with Putin and totally supporting him and saying, you have to bring glory to Russia and it's, it's God's will that you take over Ukraine and everything else. So that's pretty well known. And this is making him not a favorite among other members of the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church, but he is the leader and he's been um, the close ally of Putin all along, just like Trump's alliance with the evangelical leaders that were brought on board by blackmailing them, uh, the main one anyway. And uh, Putin's defense minister just suffered a heart attack, not from natural causes. So he does appear to be expressing his displeasure in the traditional Russian manner by poisoning those near him, imitating his idol Stalin, whom he often says is the guy he wants to be like. Just like Trump says he wants to be like Putin, Putin says he wants to be like Stalin. And both of them seem to be doing a pretty good job. I don't know yeah. about these these stories about Shoigu getting a heart attack because this is the second yeah. time he suffered a heart attack. I don't know. I didn't hear about the earlier one. Of course, uh, Navalny was poisoned twice. I think getting poisoned twice is not that unusual in Russia. No, I suppose this is just the same excuse recycled. Although Shoigu has appeared on on uh, some uh, video clips. Um, uh, wearing a suit rather than wearing his usual defense minister yeah, but, garb. Yep. Well, uh, it's hard to say. Another thing they tend to do in Russia is accidentally fall out of seventh-story windows. Um, yeah. This is just the traditional way you express displeasure over there at the high government levels. It's great to be minor and unimportant, you know. Anyway, I got one more I want to mention here before I go back to you, Alan. Uh, I, someone posted on Twitter power scale obfuscation, where you have a line of power shell that is absolutely nothing but punctuation marks, dollar signs, underscores, parentheses, and curly braces. And that's all there is. And I've seen this before in the language called JS fuck, which is just all parentheses. And I've never understood how it worked. So I got found a couple articles that finally explain it. Because you can use nothing but punctuation marks to refer to like pull a substring of the following string. I've seen that but you have to have a string somewhere. And the way this works is it's able to refer to the name of a method without explicitly referencing it. So you take the name of the method, which is like invoke string of, and then you pick characters out of that to spell out other things. So you end up with just a whole screen full of punctuation marks with no characters, no letters at all. And it is executable PowerShell. So just like JavaScript, uh, this shows, you know, any attempt to, uh, detect malicious patterns of PowerShell or JavaScript by pattern matching is kind of futile because the level to which you can obfuscate it is immense. Anyway, let's go back to you with QAnon. QAnon and the American Biolab uh, conspiracy theory. Biolabs in Ukraine conspiracy theory. It's an analysis in uh, 
um, uh, on the CBC page by Justin Ling. Um, I think Turner Carlson's on board with this one, isn't he? Oh, yes. He really picked up on this. Um, and this story, this analysis picks on, up on the, the, uh, the origins of this whole biolab thing, which mm -hmm. the U.S. government, excuse me, the Russian government has also been amplifying quite a lot lately. In yeah. fact, uh, a number of uh, government, uh, uh, well, let's say uh, platforms have uh, picked up on this story and run with it saying that uh, Ukraine, uh, the US is operating bioweapon labs in Ukraine and that uh, uh, this is part of the Nazi, I don't know, apparatus in Ukraine. But this story did not originate in Russia. It actually originated um, in the QAnon circles in the US. And uh, this uh, analysis identifies the, the, the first tweet from which this sprang. And it's, a, it's an account uh, at war clandestine it, on Twitter. And it turns out that the, the person operating this account is uh, a Jacob Creech, who was formerly a member of the Virginia National Guard. And he's the one who started the whole thing and uh, from which um, all of this sprang. So, it, the, the rest of the analysis isn't particularly illuminating, but this does give us an insight into where these things come from. In this case, a former American service member. Well, I think this is uh, standard, uh, you know, tradecraft. Instead of making up a lie yourself, you find a handy lie that already exists and amplify it. Yes. That's, that's more likely to gain traction, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so... Uh, I did. I was amazed to see this. The original NFT was a French artist, Yves Klein, in 1960 or so. He made art like putting an empty shelf in the middle of an empty room. He made art that didn't exist and said, I want it to exist only in your imagination so you get the full power of it. And then he would sell receipts for this art that didn't exist and encourage people to burn the receipts to get the full value out of it. And one guy did not burn the receipt. And that receipt is now trading for vast amounts of money. And they say, this is the original NFT, which I think is a, is a fair uh, cop. It sold for $1.2 million, the receipt for the art that didn't exist. Is this the Yves Klein famous for the blue paintings? Uh, I don't know. He might be. Because there, there is an Yves Klein, French artist, who um, was famous for just uh, monochrome paintings in a very brilliant indigo blue or not an indigo it's more of a uh, oh I, I can't remember what the, the right term but a very very vivid blue a nice blue yeah okay. it sounds sounds like a similar act of staggering genius so uh, all right and Israel has a missile defense system that uses lasers instead of projectiles. And they say the advantage of that is it is much cheaper to shoot down incoming missiles. They can shoot them down for like $3 each. And the other technique costs like tens of thousands of dollars each to shoot them down with other missiles. Uh, so they're deploying that on the borders of Israel to rep uh, replace the Iron Dome with the new one called the Iron Beam. And I remember in the 80s, when Ronald Reagan wanted to do this, they called it Star Wars and said it was impossible. But uh, it now appears to be possible. And uh, they're 
I got a, uh, a message from my right-wing friend, and it sounded like you must have made that up, but he didn't make it up, um, which is what I'm finding, unfortunately, frequently in right-wing talking points. There is some truth, like Hunter Biden's laptop. Durham University is, in fact, ordering people to um, take white males out of their math courses and say, you know, if you teach math and you only teach math that was invented by white males, then that's racist. And you have to, in your math course, consider the ethnic origin of it and go find someone other than white males that invented the math you're teaching, which uh, seems a little ridiculous. But that is the case there. The question of whether we have allowed Western mathematicians to dominate in our discipline is no less relevant than whether we've allowed Western authors to dominate the field of literature. And uh, I must say, I think it is less relevant, but perhaps that just shows that I'm a sexist pig. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, let's go back to you with uh, who discovering that COVID is airborne. Yeah, this is a piece in the uh, journal, very prestigious journal, Nature, um, on why the WHO, World Health Organization, took two years to say COVID is airborne. And I remember a lot of screaming and yelling about it at the time. Oh, there certainly was. And, um, you know, this was such an important admission on the part of the WHO because so many countries and organizations take their cue from the WHO. They, they really view it as the, um, I guess, the arbiter of scientific knowledge when it comes to I remember for the first year, health. we were like wiping off our packages and stuff, thinking it spread by touch. Yeah, and not only wiping stuff off, but spending millions of dollars on uh, cleaning chemicals and foggers. Yeah. Um, not to mention all the, the messaging coming from various uh, governments about wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, right. which is always a good thing. But that was washing, not what spread COVID. Yes, that's right. Washing your hands is very important, but it's not going to help you um, avoid catching COVID. Uh, because COVID is airborne, and uh, like uh, several or number of other different types of pathogens, um, but there's a lot of resistance to the, the very idea of airborne pathogens, apparently. Well, because fact, they're expensive to mitigate. Well, it's more expensive to mitigate. It's more difficult to mitigate, absolutely. But it also seems that some people, uh, some scientists, have some real hangups on the very idea of airborne transmission. In, in fact, it wasn't until the 1980s that uh, tuber tuberculosis and measles were widely accepted to be uh, transmitted uh, via the air. Why? Why is there dot? I mean, in the early days with like malaria and stuff, they assumed everything was transmitted by the air. That's right. The miasma theory about this was before uh, germ, the germ theory was developed. And so yeah. uh, people believed in the miasma theory that bad odors or bad airs could somehow spread disease. And that's how we got air conditioning, in fact, is that the air conditioning is somehow cleaning out these uh, bad airs or the miasma. And we're going back to that. They're now shuttling air purification units to get the COVID out of the air. Yeah, except a, a lot of people still haven't gotten the message. And in fact, uh, a lot of governments are still issuing guidance that people wash their hands. And there's no mention or very little mention of masking. And another consequence is that um, 
the masking that people are doing is ineffective since uh, Omicron, especially BA2, is so infectious, so contagious, just wearing a regular cloth mask really isn't going to do the trick anymore. You need to have proper filtration that you get from an N95. Um, and the WHO, unfortunately, rather than leading the world in um, providing the best medical advice, has been lagging. And this story traces that path and some of the major characters, shall we say. Much of it comes down to a particular group, advisory group within this, the WHO, WHO called the uh, IPCCDG. Um, and this is a group of 40 so-called experts on uh, infectious diseases and epidemiology and public health. And at the time of its inception, not, they had six experts on hand washing and zero experts on aerosol. So naturally, because of their professional biases, none of the people on the IPC CDG uh, were receptive to the idea of aerosol transmission, even though there was so much evidence of aerosol transmission going back to the very first days. Um, and even though uh, COVID, COVID's uh, prior uh, relatives, uh, viral relatives like SARS and MERS were also pretty much accepted to be um, transmitted uh, via aerosol. You know, the CDC did not cover itself with glory in publishing the truth about this stuff either. No, it certainly didn't. And even uh, Dr. Tony Fauci has ended up looking pretty bad since he's more or less admitted that when he told people or basically ridiculed the idea of, wearing masks. of not wearing masks or the idea of wearing masks, um, that he was doing so because he knew that uh, masks would help, but wanted to preserve what little stockpile remained of masks so that healthcare workers could wear them. Yeah, and common sense would tell you when you go to the hospital and the doctors are wearing masks, that would suggest that masks work. Yes, that's right. That's right. But there was so much emphasis on, um, on aerosol spread versus droplet spread and yeah. how when people talk, there's a lot of spittle coming out of their mouth and it's that spittle that's infecting people. So if you just stand six feet away from somebody, it's highly unlikely that that spittle will land in your face or on your eyes. And right. so therefore that's gonna protect you somehow. Well, I think the issue is how big does the droplet have to be to infect you? And I well, think- Well, there, there was a lot of debate about that. Yes, yeah. and that there was so much talk about how the droplets, um, the, there's a like a, what is it, five, five micron diameter distinction between airborne versus droplet. And that's really been proven to be a false distinction that um, you can have uh, droplets that are 50 microns or 80 microns and they can still float in the air. They can still be airborne. Oh, well, that's yeah. bad. That would suggest yeah. that every disease spreads this way, like common cold and everything. Yeah, and there is evidence that uh, many common colds and flu are spread via the air too. So the most important thing is like either air conditioning or ventilation. Right. And not just air conditioning. There needs to be proper, proper filtration with a HEPA filter. Yeah. 
But, but and, the wisest uh, thing is open the windows and doors. Yeah, right, right. You can just open the, the windows, but that's not possible in a lot of climates. Yeah. Um, at least for much of the year. And uh, in certain environments, like an airplane, you can't do that. Yeah. But supposedly they're filtering the air in the airplane vigorously. Right. Um, but it's not going to help you so much if the person next to you is infected. And there have been studies um, conducted over the years of uh, infection patterns inside a plane. And uh, like with SARS in particular, uh, SARS in, uh, in particular, there was uh, multiple cases documented in which people got infected on the airplane. I saw some charts where people are getting infected even two and three sheets away. Yes, or in a completely different area of the plane. Interesting. Because the air is spinning around or something. Yeah, yeah that or I have to wonder if it's because of the bathroom usage. Oh, that would be very likely. Yeah. 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 Well, it's this, I think, touches a fundamental problem, which, which is Democrats tend to think they're smarter than everybody and be arrogant and talk down to them. I remember Hillary Clinton's famous statement that the, her opponents are just a bunch of, um, a basket of uh, deplorables. And I wondered at the time why that was so resonant. Why, and I began to get more and more of a clue. And this is the same kind of thinking as Fauci. Well, you can't handle the truth. So I'll tell you the lie to manipulate you stupid people into doing what I want you to do, which is sacrifice yourself for the more important people. Well, I, I understand that, um, that anger. Yeah, I understand that anger. That the, the deplorable comment by uh, Hillary was possibly fatal. Yes, and I think that's because it was what, it was what a gaffe is. A gaffe is when a politician tells the truth. <laughs> and people realized that she was not their friend on their side representing them. She regarded them as expendable trash to be used. However, it has to be pointed out that the Republicans um, are equally dismissive of uh, Democrats. Oh yeah, and even themselves. I mean, all the uh, the Ivy League uh, lawyers in Senate pretending to be dumb bumpkins with an accent. Y yes, right. There's plenty of that. Um, but uh, as far as medical advice and, and health advice goes, I, I think there is a degree of public manipulation that's necessary. You know, as much as we'd like to believe that. Uh, propaganda doesn't exist in the US. It very much does. And in fact, it is very necessary for uh, public cohesion. Boy, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm not so sure. I think telling the truth might be better plan. But you do have to be careful how you say things. Well, you do have to be careful how you say things, but people often are not willing to accept the truth. Well, you know, I, this is why I like Andrew Yang's ideas, but I watch how he has a chin ear and he constantly says things the wrong way and gets in trouble. Like I listened to his latest podcast and he had this expert on Lincoln on there and he talked about how Lincoln was in a new party and he ran with a vice president of the other party to win. And then, of course, was assassinated and his vice president turned out to be a drunken fool and ruined everything. But Andrew sees on the part that, hey, he ran with 
a president of one party and a vice president of the other party and tweeted that alone. And everybody freaked out and said, you idiot, you don't know that, that vice president turned out to be a bum. And he did know that. And he didn't deny that. But everybody freaked out because the way he presented it invited them to misunderstand it. And I, I see how dangerous this is. You know, you make some statement about a topic where people are emotional and they will get the wrong idea and run with it. Well, Andrew Yang is definitely specialized in that in his brief political career. Oh, it's not over yet. He's still at it. <laughs> but, but I think his, his possibility of winning high office would require him to greatly improve his messaging. Yeah, I don't think he can even win local office at this point. He certainly failed. Yes, yes. I like his ideas, but I think he should be the guy behind the throne planning things, and he needs a more a, a better communicator to be the actual candidate. Yeah, Howard Dean-like figure. Howard Dean just threw it away, didn't he? Anyway. Yes, he did. <laughs> Democrats have a lot of these guys that shoot themselves in the foot. First, well, it was all about that scream. And yeah. um, unfortunately, it, it just got... Uh, uh, beaten to death. That's that scream. Well, now we've got that Republican who says, you know, homeless people don't give up. You could grow up to be Adolf Hitler, which is a pretty incredible message. I hadn't heard that one. Oh yeah. A couple of days ago at Congress, he said, you know, people write off homeless people, but what they don't know is Adolf Hitler was homeless for a couple of years and look how he recovered and went on to like achieve things. So don't give up. And they're like stunned. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So I got a couple more here. So this there's rioter who said he was innocent for his actions on January 6th because Trump told him to. Now, I thought that was a pretty good argument. If the president of the United States authorizes it, doesn't that authorize it? But he didn't get away with that. He was found guilty on all charges. They said, you know, all those other people went to the rally and then they didn't go breaking into building trash into place. And you did. And he didn't really exactly tell you to do that. But anyway... I thought that was a good defense, but it didn't work. And uh, the other one, uh, a couple more here. There's um, two stories about the crimes in California, which are disturbing. And one of them is in Los Angeles, there's 17 gangs that are sending out crews to walk on the street and find somebody wandering around with like an expensive watch and then just follow them home and rob them. And they keep getting arrested and they keep releasing them the same day with no bail to do it again which is the story I'm hearing all over in California, and maybe it's all over the nation, um, partly because of COVID and partly because of uh, other political concerns, they've decided not to punish criminals anymore. And so there's another place where the post office has refused to deliver mail to a whole area of town because they have a crazy person there who assaults the mail carriers and all the locals say, yeah, he's been running out screaming and attacking people for a long time and we keep turning him in and they keep arresting him and they just let him go to do it again which seems to be a big pattern and uh, i don't know what the solution is but i certainly see it you know I, where i go there's uh, crazy homeless people just hanging around forever and nobody can do anything about it yeah i have to be very skeptical of a lot of these stories about rising crime in california and across the country um, and in fact, in the next podcast, I'll have a, a story that addresses this and some of the American response or the specifically the L.A. Uh, response to um, policing. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's good to hear. It certainly is not a simple solution, but it, our... no, no. But I, I, I am very concerned about much of the simplification of the story, shall we say, and a particular narrative that's getting pushed. 
Good, good. Well, I'd like to hear it. And I've got a couple more here. Gavin, uh, a lawyer just resigned in protest from the Activision case. Activision is being sued for um, something or other, her discrimination and harassment. But the lawyer prosecuting Activision says Gavin Newsom's office will call him and demand information about what you're finding and how where you're going, and then he'll sell it to the other side. So Gavin Newsom seems to be corruptly influencing it as part of his grander presidential ambitions. And so that's, uh, and it's serious enough that he resigned for that reason. So it sounds like uh, typical political corruption. And yeah, I uh, heard the story and I, I, I haven't followed up on it, but I just can't understand how Activision has this kind of political juice. Oh, I assume just donate money to his campaign. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. But I, I don't have proof of that, but that's usually how it goes. You give your money, you rig the system to get me out. And yeah, uh, but when, when the, the, the topic is such a, a, a political live wire, usually the politicians run away from their donors. Well, yeah, that, well, I mean, evidently Gavin Newsom is not only corrupt, he's stupid about it, which would not be that surprising. But anyway, and, and Apache Struts is back with the same thing we've heard about many times before. Apparently, the patches for the Apache Struts vulnerabilities were not good enough, and you have to patch it again, which is, it's been going on for quite a while. Yeah, and surprising too, because Apache did have a pretty good run there for some years where, yeah, they had some vulnerabilities, but it wasn't like the early days. Like they seemed like they had their act together. And now it's not looking so good. I've never used Struts except just to set up vulnerable services to practice hacking on, but I guess it must be great for people to keep using it after so many hits. Yeah. <laughs> or else it's such a mess that you can't afford to remake, refactor your code. Yeah, uh, maybe this will incentivize people to switch over to Nginx. You know, I was just reading about um, weather modeling and they said weather modeling, all the weather modeling code is from 50 years ago and it's all in Fortran and nobody can understand it. So now they're finally rewriting it in the modern language. Mm. Anyway. That's well, that would explain yeah. why so many forecasts are bad. Apparently, like you're going to debunk the, uh, the rising crime stuff, Forecasts are, in fact, better than they used to be, for uh, what that's worth. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, well, that's it for this one. And we'll be back on Tuesday when we'll probably have more of our gang here.